With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following program contains language and themes which may not be suitable for everybody. The way to handle this now is for us to have Walters call back President Nixon. We have a cancer within close to the presidency that's growing. It's growing daily. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. What really hurts in matters of this sort? is not the fact that they occur, because overzealous people in campaigns do things that are wrong. What really hurts is if you try to cover it up. Because only if you've been in the deepest valley can you ever know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain. Welcome back to Watergate at 50, the Crow Pod Heart and Hand crossover series. We're, we're on to episode seven here now. Uh, David, what the expletive deleted is impeachment. Hmm, impeachment. Wow, there you are. Well, Shane, impeachment is, uh, to, to, to make a short story long, as we do on, on this show, <laughs> um, we've got to go all the way back to 1789, as we do quite often, or 1787, rather. Uh, I, well, again, my whole country has gone back to then, so it's okay. That's our... Yeah, I think you've gone back to slightly before that. I think the Mayflower <laughs> has just checked over the, when it's, uh, the, the Puritans are, are coming on. Um, yeah, look, basically what it is, is the Nixon, of course, famously says at one point, the Constitution is very clear on what is an impeachable offence. No, it isn't. It's deliberately vague yeah. on what is a constitutional, uh, what is a, an impeachable offence. Uh, uh, deliberately so, because as we've discussed before, one of the genius parts of the American Constitution, uh, frustrating at times, I know, for you living there, Shane, because uh, it, it isn't in black and white. But the, the, the people who came up with this, no matter what you think of some of their social morality, they were geniuses. They absolutely were. And yeah. they realised, they realised, the people these days don't seem to, but they realised, hang on, in 200 years, things might be a bit different from what they're like now. So yeah. we'll give them a wee bit of room. And it's famously been called an invitation to struggle. Now, what it says is, of course, everyone knows it, high crimes and misdemeanours. Yeah, so um, there, there, there are three, three things. In Article 2, Section 4, a president can be impeached for treason, bribery, or as David just said, high crimes and misdemeanours. Of course, David, the problem is, there isn't a U.S. legal code when the Constitution is passed. No, no. And what's a misdemeanor? I mean, do, can the president be impeached for a traffic offence? Well, you know, that would be ridiculous. Um, what constitutes a high crime? Because, obviously, murder, that's fine. We get that. But, again, there are 
other crimes, you know, for instance, you know, not wearing your COVID mask might be considered <laughs> at some point. So, but again, this is, you know, deliberately put there so there would be this discussion. But again, you have to remember as well that the founders assumed that the people who would be taking the role would be people like George Washington, who had morality, yeah. because again, they didn't really think that the ordinary people should be allowed to vote. And when you look at those early presidents, they were probably right, by the way. Um, I'm just saying, it <laughs> has gone down since so we, we let the public involved in it. But, um, so basically, yeah, the, the, it, it, it isn't clear what, what should be. And we've discussed many times throughout the show that, that it's not even clear if you can indict uh, a sitting president. And uh, I think the best advice that the that the Justice Department or the best opinion it could come up with was you can, but you shouldn't. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what gets us. This, you know, Cox, Cox, of course, Archibald Cox, the first special prosecutor, which we talked about there in uh, episode five. Um, on, on the night of the Saturday Night Massacre, uh, gives a statement through, what, what was his uh, press guy's name? Doyle, I think. Can't remember. Anyway. Brian Doyle, yeah. Yeah. His, his statement's, uh, whether ours shall continue to be a government of laws and not of men is now for Congress and ultimately the American people. Because he knew, and even before Jaworski clarified, um, that the likelihood of, of bringing actual criminal charges against the president at that point was highly unlikely. The Justice Department had already advised against it. Jaworski, of course, would, would outright tell the grand jury in the special prosecutor case that that was not going to be an option. And so this brings us back to, as we talked about at the end of last week, the eighth unindicted, <laughs> unindicted co-conspirator uh, in, in the special prosecutor case is, of course, Richard Nixon. And Jaworski... After going home, I mean, you know, he, he brings it in. And, and, of course, the people in the grand jury go, well, why can't we indict him? Why can't we do this? Yeah. And he goes, that's a good question. Let me go home and think about that. Yeah. And he comes back the next day. I know you can't, but I'll bring you some. And, and he's yeah. right. By the way, he wasn't just starting from a position of walking back, folks. He knew. Um, an interesting thing to bear in mind as well is that America uh, hasn't at this point had much experience at all of impeachment in no, this level. No. Um, at the time, there had been 13 impeachments and they were all judges. Yeah, well, and and of course, Andrew Johnson. And of course, the one. That, that, <laughs> yes. yeah, that, that That's the one I was going to say. And the, the one experience they had with impeaching a, a high official, a president, um, it, it had left a stain because uh, Andrew Johnson, the uh, president who took over from being the vice president after... Uh, Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Uh, he was not a very good president, and he was no. not doing things that the Congress wanted. So no. they, they, they basically they created a, they did a Paul Le Guin. Um, they created a situation <laughs> where they they sort of invented this law um, which suggested that he couldn't sack any members of his cabinet without the 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 approval of Congress. Now that's pretty egregious uh and if he challenged it he wanted to challenge it and he did he sacked a member of his his uh, cabinet and they they started impeachment proceedings and in the end uh he he won if you like his trial uh he was one vote away but that one yeah. vote was enough to stop him being impeached and the reason well, well, and there was a lot of backroom stuff going on to yeah but keep the that reason... one vote <laughs> Well, yeah, but the reason that the one vote did, and they were right to do it, as as terrible a man and as, as bad a president as he was, is that you that would have set the precedent that if you get numbers in the House and you don't like the president, you can impeach yeah. him. And that's yeah. not what it's about. We've discussed this before a bit last week with Carol Albert, 
and the Senate leader said, no, that's actually a coup. Um, yeah. You know, people, this is not how we do business in this country. And it's similar there. So it had left this stain and it had left it with this taint. And this will be a big thing through this episode, folks. It had left impeachment with this taint of being some, being a bit of skullduggery, being a bit of a political manoeuvre, being something that you do if you are trying to get at someone, being partisan. That yeah. And so... It was a word that was getting mentioned. Now, we've seen impeachment since. Now, one of the, the, the things that's come out of <laughs> A few times now. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, we've seen it. Yeah, two, two more presidents have since been impeached. We've seen, uh, and one of them twice, uh, uh, Clint was impeached and... Um, and uh, Trump was impeached Trump, twice. Trump, Trump, went for, Trump went for the brace there. It well, he's uh, always, yeah. he was always wanting to be historic. Hey, he wanted to be better. Was, the biggest and the best. There you go. He's, he's got one. Um, <laughs> but the... the the big misunderstanding about impeachment, and this does come from Watergate, because people didn't think it at the time. Um, they did afterwards, and now I think it's gone back. That impeachment is not sacking. Impeachment is not automatic removal. That Impeachment is yeah. the process. It's not the outcome. Yeah. yeah, the Senate still has to convict you. Correct. Um, well, and, and I mean, this is part of the thing, of course, the state was saying, that, you know, Andrew Johnson's was a contrived uh, partisan, partisan process, right? Um, everybody in Washington, as this was starting to creep forward in 1973, uh, and, and of course the, the, the judiciary committee basically begins its work there on October 30th, right after the massacre. Um, but the first question is what, what the fuck is an impeachment, right? Because no one has dealt with this shit. And conveniently for them, there was a man named, uh, Raul Berger, who was a, he was a professor at Berkeley and then at Harvard. Um, sadly, you know, one one of the fallouts of uh, Watergate that we would find out years later is that people like him and Robert Bork all of a sudden became legal scholars uh, who were both proponents of uh, originalism, which you may know is the thing that Republicans use when it's handy for them or ignore when they don't like the outcome that they're going to get. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, we, we get Berger from this too because he's one of the granddaddies of it. But he'd written a book, published, Conveniently, in March of 1972. Timing. Uh, have, have you ever read It's called Impeachment, the Constitutional Problems. Have you ever read this thing, David? I have indeed, yes. Yeah, it's boring. It is. Really <laughs> it is dull. a legal treatise. It is a legal, it is a law professor writing a book for lawyers. <laughs> for law students. And it's yeah, about but... 390 pages of some of the most boring, mundane Technical. shit. Yep. But Berger, like every. Well, everyone who ever wanted to be in some point of high government legal office somewhere in the DOJ or something along those lines, of course, took the same line that that, well, Bork had and Jaworski had and everybody else that you can't indict a president. So this is how you have to go about it. Um, so that this guide, all of a sudden, pe people in the Judiciary Committee, well, people all over Washington start buying up. And of course, famously, this book would start selling out, I, th I think, uh, it was Elizabeth Drew on the, on the Slow Burn podcast described it as, you know, it was suddenly on the coffee table of everybody's house in Washington, D.C. It was like, if you didn't have a copy of this thing, you you weren't in with it. And so Jaworski, as I said there before, he takes he takes all the evidence against Nixon. Famously, when he goes in that next day, there's a briefcase with the evidence against the other Watergate 7, the other co-conspirators. And then there's one off to the side. 
And that's all the evidence against Nixon. And one of his deputies walks it over to the House and hands it over to Peter Rodino, a Democrat from New Jersey who would uh, run run the uh, House Judiciary Committee here. And David's point, again, from the Andrew Johnson thing, Rodino knew you couldn't run this as a, as a partisan uh, endeavor. He knew that he needed to get Republicans, not, not only Republicans in the House on side, but Republicans in the general public, because the biggest thing, the biggest difference, and and we can't stress this enough, again, impeachment is a political proceeding that is trying to reach an outcome. This is different from Sam Irvin's committee, which was a fact-finding expedition. All Irvin's committee was, was we need to find out as much as we can, and then at the end of this, we're going to make some recommendations, right? Yes. That's it. But there was never a political outcome to what Irvin does. With with the Judiciary Committee opening up these impeachment proceedings, there very much is a, we have to get to either we are going to recommend impeachment or we are not. Yeah, it's a trial. Um, And it's the start of a trial. It's it's pre-trial. It's basically the grand jury phase of a trial. Is, is, yeah. what, is what is what House impeachment proceedings are. And if you want to, to, to know whether Peter Rodino chose the right way of doing this, folks, then let's look at the subsequent impeachments, all of which have stalled because they were quite clearly partisan and they broke yeah. down on partisan lines and the public completely lost interest. I mean, Clinton, who was pretty much guilty of the thing he'd be accused of, incidentally. Um, it wasn't a high crime, you would say, but it was certainly a misdemeanor. Uh, yeah. But the the public went, ah, this is just the Republicans out to get him. And he ended up, actually, his poll numbers shot up. Because it yeah, was they seen. rebounded. Yeah, because it was seen. Yeah. So, uh, Rodino went into this knowing, this is serious. If we are seen to just be in the Democrats out to get Nixon, then it dies. And it would yeah. have died. It absolutely would have. In fact, it, it was the thing that might have saved Nick, the only thing at that point might have would would have been a huge surge of of public sympathy and feeling that he wasn't being allowed to to you know let the man go on with his job as as Reagan put it. Um, so Rodino, and I think that's probably an interesting thing about this whole thing is they moved very carefully and almost reluctantly, almost. Right. Okay. Well, we we better do that. We have to do that. We should do this. You know, morally, they, I think they were in a good place, but it was never this headlong rush into right. He's guilty. Let's get the evidence to prove it. That was never it. And in fact, there's a legit argument to say that a lot of yeah, you'd get some bloodthirsty Democrats. You had some bloodthirsty Republicans who who thought he was guilty of sin. But you mainly had politicians that were hoping that he would be exonerated that were hoping something would turn up to prove he hadn't done it, and then they wouldn't need to go on with this. But if it didn't, they were going to go on with it. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, to to the methodical process, again, I mean, Rodino's committee basically starts working on this in October. It's not until February 6th of uh, 74 when they, you know, formally introduce it you know like like back in october they got a little bit of money to start looking at how we do this right i mean that that was it it was the, that was the very first motion in this whole thing was back in october like look we, we need some money in the budget to start investigating how we might actually possibly have to do this if it gets to that point february 6th which you might remember february 7th in 1973 is when sam Irvin's committee is created so here we are 300 and uh uh, 64 days later, and the House is getting on, getting on with their stuff. Um, 
But the you know the, here's here's where the committee starts, and it's it's a fairly quiet action, I think, at that point, because just like Irvin's committee, Rodino and and, and his group are going through. Well, I mean, again, information gathering, right? What was it? St- statements of fact or statements of information is what the, they were putting together. They had all these these huge black binders that would just lay out very specific, very mundane, very boring details. You know, like on April 22nd, 1972, so-and-so called this person and this much money was discussed. Like that, And that's all it would say. That's just it. as an aside, Shane, the binder industry, that's went the way of the black, the black man, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, was just th- a- this was a banner time. I mean, this yeah. un- unlike you know, Ir- Irvin's committee was held across the street at the, at the Senate office building there in the uh, in the caucus room. It wasn't held at the Capitol itself. Whereas this this is actually done in the Capitol, and it, it got so bad at one point that the, the the great, but literally the weight of information was starting to compromise the floor. The House architect had to had to bring in contractors <laughs> to reinforce the floor of the investigation room. So much, so paper. much shit, just it piles, just so much evidence. Because as I hope we've we've demonstrated throughout this show, Watergate is not a break in, and that's it. It really wasn't. It spirals off. It goes off in a hundred different directions, and in those hundred different directions, there are a hundred people, each one with contrasting stories. So, because of that, they wanted to get everything. And look, there is zero doubt this is one of the most thorough investigations that has ever been done anywhere oh, yeah. by God, yes. by anybody, by any police yeah. force, by any government. This is utterly thorough because they knew, they absolutely knew that they had to get it right, or and. Any anybody who could be spoken to was spoken to. It was it was all put down on paper. Paper was multiple copies were made, sent to the people who were involved in it. And as Shane said, the the, the accumulated Brazilian rainforest of paper that that came out of it. But yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, there, Rodino is he's an interesting character. Again, he's he's sort of. You'd have to get him played in the in a movie by someone like Richard Attenborough, wouldn't you? Or so someone you trust. Yeah, so, yeah. Um Tom Tom Hanks as he's getting older could do Mark, it Mark, as well. Uh what was Mark Ryland? He, he yeah, 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 yeah. Someone like that. Someone uh, grandfatherly. But you know, Rodino he, he wasn't a firebrand. Absolutely not. It no. was he wasn't somebody who was and he was pretty safe in where he had got to politically. Uh he wasn't really going any higher no uh, he, he would never be president he oh. knew that and so there wasn't this this insatiable need for self-gratification but he was if anything probably the other way of i really don't want to do this i really don't want to be the guy who swings the hammer down and we'll come to that later on in the show who swings yeah. the hammer down on a on a presidential impeachment i don't want this to be my place in history but inevitably that's what it led well, I think, you know, the Elizabeth Holtzman, who was a, a, a Democratic uh, rep from, from New York, th- this was her first uh, term uh, in the House. She's actually running again right now. I don't know if you know that. She's because uh, her, her district's been uh, usurped by some crazy people. So she's like, oh, fuck it. I'll come out of retirement. <laughs> let's let's yeah, do this. Uh, well, but, 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 well Sorry, she, just... she, she, she said, because, you know, like her first term and, the, the guy that she replaced had been a judiciary forever, right? Yes. And she and was like, that's... I want to be on something. Div- I want to be on ways and means or finance or education or something. And when they start handing out the committee things, because she's a lawyer and had gone yeah. to Harvard, and they're like, you're going on judiciary. And she goes, God damn it. 
God well, damn it. <laughs> very interestingly as well on this one, that she wins a primary against a 50-year um, incumbent. Yes. Right? Yeah. She doesn't win an election. She's not a Republican. She's a Democrat in yeah. a very safe Democrat area. So the big election in those is who wins the who gets the nomination yeah. whoever gets the nomination is going to win it's a bit right. like a safe seat in the uk right it's not the, she, the actual, she's, she's one of your watergate babies that you yeah, get in this time yeah, yes your actual yeah. general election isn't going to determine who who gets the seat it's the party and yeah. so she goes up against this um, older guy and there have been arguments put forward which i think bear a lot of truth that had she not and nobody knew this. This all happens. This all happens before the burglary, you know. Yeah. Had, but it is one of the most significant elections by those Democratic Party members that's ever been held because if she hadn't have won her uh, the the nomination, and then obviously she she won in a canter in terms of the race itself. But if she hadn't won and ousted this this you know eighty five year old who'd been there forever a day, he was a very <laughs> conservative Democrat. And yes. what everybody says is, if he had still been on the Justice Committee, they would have killed it. It would never yeah. have got out of the Justice Committee. So yeah. it's a mate again, you know, just these little things that happen. What's it called? The the chaos, the butterfly effect. That <laughs> if if you know if he wins. This goes into it, and it yeah. never comes out. Well, it would have no, been I mean, yeah, killed no, if, early. If he, if he wins, it ends up like Wright Patman's committee back in yes. 1972, where it's, Wright Patman had everything, but it didn't fucking matter because he didn't have the votes to get it out of the house. That was it. He didn't have the votes to get subpoena power. He didn't have the votes to get it out of the house. And sadly, you know, Pat Patman's career comes to the same end right right around now too, because well, because of that, because people viewed him as the old guard in the Democratic Party as one of these people who couldn't get anything done, despite the fact, again, I mean, he'd removed the Treasury Secretary. He'd been in, against Vietnam from the very beginning. He had fought Nixon. Even despite doing all this, he's ousted during Watergate because he's viewed as, you know, the, the same way Holtzman's opponent was, as a very old, very old school, old guard Democrat oh, that can't yeah. get anything done. World War Two guy, yeah, and this yeah. is a change in the seventies. You know, we think of the sixties as being the big decade of change, and it really, you know, yeah. I mean, the, the seeds of it, but what it takes is, of course, that activist generation in the sixties to become old enough to get elected, because people don't elect eighteen and nineteen year olds in America. Um, yeah. You know, sensibly. I think you go too far the other way. I think it would be nice if you occasionally elected a president who didn't need help finding his teeth in the morning. But uh, that's that's for you guys to discuss. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, but it, it it is one of these significant things, and therefore suddenly the we have this. We have this situation now where you have a committee who are an investigative committee who will investigate. Yeah. Well, and, and this is where Rodino goes over with his, uh, well, it's the, the ranking minority member, the Republican, Ed Hutchison. And, um, you know, they start figuring out, all right, how, you know, how are we going to set this thing up? And one of the big things was, well, one, we, we need to get in an independent special counsel, just like the, the Senate committee had. They hire a man named John Doerr. Who'd, uh, who'd worked uh, on civil rights in the Kennedy and Johnson administrations there, but was a Republican, right? Yes. Uh, another key thing here. And, and, and like Rodino, they both thought that the Senate hearings that the Irving Committee had, well, almost grandstanded at points. You know, they, 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 there were way too many leaks coming out of it. Um, they had gotten witnesses to, to testify under all these immunity grants and everything else. And they didn't want to do that. They wanted to look, we're, we're going to run this thing, but we're going to run it 
knowing that off the back of this, people might be going to jail and we're not going to give them a free pass, right? If, if they're not going to give us the information, we're going to take our time and find it some other way. And they start putting together this whole staff. Uh, but, and most of these attorneys are very, very young attorneys. They get very young, very hungry attorneys, all of whom have graduated law school basically since Nixon's been in the White House. Uh, one of them's Bill Weld. He goes on to be governor of Massachusetts. Hillary Rodham, not yet Hillary Rodham Clinton, is uh, one of them. She, she comes on. Uh, so you've got all these, you know, the, the wheels are starting to turn on, on this kind of stuff throughout. And Nixon, meanwhile, Nixon, again, right, he's detached from reality. Well, well, reality and all the people around him who could keep him grounded. Right. Mm. I mean, we, we talked about, look, some of them are already in jail. OK, but all of them are gone from the White House. He doesn't have anyone in his circle anymore that that's providing him with the kind of information or the, or the kind of, again, the, the grounding that 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 kept Nixon a competent, very good president for five years. Until, well, all this, because Haldeman's not there. Ehrlichman's not there. John Mitchell, his old boss at his law firm there in New York, is not there. He's got none of them. And so now he's got Gerald Ford as his vice president because Agnew's gone. And well, it, it kind of cuts a striking thing here at the, the, the first day of the union with Ford, you know, sitting behind him. And, and Nixon just starts in on this this track that that you're going to hear over and over again here about how. This isn't about me. This is about defending the the presidency. This is the about presidency. maintaining the integrity of the presidency. As you know, I have provided to the special prosecutor voluntarily a great deal of material. I believe that I have provided all the material that he needs to conclude his investigation and to proceed to prosecute the guilty and to clear the innocent. I believe the time has come to bring that investigation and the other investigations of this matter to an end. One year of Watergate is enough. I recognize that the House Judiciary Committee has a special responsibility in this area. I want to indicate on this occasion that I will cooperate with the Judiciary Committee in its investigation. I will cooperate so that it can conclude its investigation, make its decision, and I will cooperate in any way that I consider consistent with my responsibilities for the office of the presidency of the United States. So, the, I mean, th- there you go. The, 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 this, this is going to be the line over and over and over. And we've talked about this in prior episodes, David. I mean, that this is this is it. This is Dick Nixon right here. This is classic Nixonian way of dealing with it. First of all, you you paint it that it's not about the day-to-day grubby things. You're above all that. You are the president, and you're not bothered about yourself. Oh, no. heaven forfend that anyone no. would think that. You're worried about the institution of the yes. presidency itself. Yes, not, not, not your mounting legal debts or the fact that you just yeah, bought this yeah, huge no, house no. in California or the fact that you might be going to jail or anything. But, no, no, no. No, sir. Here, you know, the, the reason that I would maybe have a slight issue with him saying he was worried about the presidency is if he had been he wouldn't have committed all these illegal acts uh, but that's, that's here, yeah. Yeah. there's a very interesting line in that Shane and it's not the one that gets discussed but I, I think it is important to tell you his mindset I have given the special prosecutor everything I consider he needs to conclude his investigation yes. well 
you know, by that, you know, by that thing, John Wayne Gacy could have given the, the prosecutor everything that they needed <laughs> to conclude right up until the point where they have evidence that he did it. Right, yes. that's not how a criminal case works. Right, the the person who does it doesn't hand out enough information that you can go, oh, we don't have enough information. Well, to look, I mean, the, the, this was Cox's whole thing in the press conference. Like, look, you know, we, we can't you can't rely on the man that I'm trying to investigate to hand over what the hell he says he's going to hand over. What the, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, <laughs> Basically. <laughs> it's, but that that was his his viewpoint. It's look, look I've, I've right. Basically, we're going to start again from a position which is uh, this all goes away. I've handed you, and this is again what we've talked about about presidents who think everything works in deals. Johnson was exactly the same. That there is no moral aspect to anything. That people people don't care. And this is when you are removed from people and you're actually just in the, the political process where stuff where it's all a game right and it is right a high stakes one uh with a lot going on but that it's basically all a game so his view was i've handed over enough information that he can say oh look i've done an investigation yeah with all the evidence i have it's clear let's stop it right well, well and, i mean the, 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 this line persists you know he's look nixon after shying away from press conferences and cameras and everything else during this time. I mean, he goes back out because again, he doesn't have the people around him telling him, giving him good information because as again, Nixon was great on television up until this point, because he's starting to become more deranged, more detached, drinking a hell of a lot more. And it starts to show just in his physical composure and stuff on camera that he's not, this is not the energetic, you know, vibrant Dick Nixon of 1968. This is a depressed, sad, lonely man who is is fighting for everything. And like I said, I mean, this starts persisting in, in press conferences. I mean, here's Helen Thomas. This is this is February 25th of 74 right here. Miss Thomas, I think you're number one tonight, as usual. Would you be willing to waive executive privilege to give the Judiciary Committee what it says it needs to end any question of your involvement in Watergate? Well, Ms. Thomas, as you know, uh, the matter of the Judiciary Committee's investigation is now being discussed by White House Counsel Mr. St. Clair and Mr. Doerr. And as I indicated in my State of the Union address, I am prepared to cooperate with the committee in any way consistent with my constitutional responsibility to defend the office of the presidency against any action which would weaken that office and the ability of future presidents to carry out the great responsibilities that any president will have. Uh, Mr. Doerr is conducting those negotiations with Mr. St. Clair and whatever is eventually arranged which will bring a prompt resolution of this matter, I will cooperate in. Uh, There you go. Again, every single time he goes out. But, David, something strange happens in Nixon's brain during this time because without Spiro Agnew around to be the racist, right? Again, you know, Agnew's gone. Agnew's gone. He's got Gerald Ford, who's one of the most boring fucks that you will ever meet in your life, and that's why they wanted him in there. With Agnew gone, Nixon... In the midst of all this, decides, you know what? I'm starting to lose. You know, he started to lose Republicans on Staten Island, right? That's 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 rough. That's rough. So he decides, 
I got to go down south. I got to go see George Wallace. I got to go to Texas. I got to go see all these fucking crazy rednecks. Because What was he say? The heart of Dixie is good. The heart of Dixie is pure. I mean, it, it sounds like a fucking, it, it sounds like a reconstruction era stump speech from, from a, you know, a, a Southern Democrat at that time. Yeah, I mean, it certainly does. And, and it's because he isn't able to to be himself. And also, we've, we've discussed this. I think this is a huge point. So I, I, I make no apologies for spinning and spinning this in the, the listeners back to this, that nobody is telling him the situation. Nobody is sitting down and people don't do this, unfortunately, with presidents enough for the reason being that presidents certain that weaker ones don't like people who do this with them. Nobody is sitting them down and saying, this is bad. This won't work. Here's what we need to do. Here are your options. Nobody is doing that. So if no. you listen to a lot of these conversations, listen to how often before it, you know, before it, they leave, him and Haldeman or him and Ehrlichman, or later on him and Haig, listen to how often that they basically sort of convince themselves it'll be all right. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll get talking and say, well, they're not going to you know, famously, you know, they're not going to get rid of me to get, to, to get General Ford in, are they? And, and he, of course, because, no, no, of course they're not, so they're not going to do that. And he's, well, you know, so we don't need to worry about it. And it, what they're doing is a very natural human emotion that we all do, which is, right, okay, I don't want to think that I might be utterly F-U-C-K-E-D'd. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll look for, you know, the potential best case scenario. But what you need when you're in trouble is someone to say, this is what could happen. So we need to address this potential possibility. And it never happens. And because no. he's getting further and further and further away from it, as you say, he's now beginning to make these really esoteric, random, bizarre, bizarre yeah. statements that are, yeah. are at best, at best, tenuously connected to the reality of the situation. Now, again, someone, he's he is totally disconnected. He's in the White House. There's a great book, Richard Reese called Alone in the White House. Brilliant description of it. Yep. He, he doesn't have people telling him this stuff. He no. doesn't have anyone disagreeing with him. He has He's painting himself these rosy situations. And when he doesn't, on the rare times, and being Nixon, it's not that he says, look, this is a situation I need to deal with. He feels sorry for himself. And his family and his people around him naturally pick him up. They, no, no, it's not that. Don't worry about that. But he doesn't need that because outside in the real world where people are a bit distant from it, um, they say, actually, no, this is, this is rubbish. This is, And as you say, Shane, once a politician begins to look a little insane, and again, I will give Trump his, 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 his due <laughs> on this, his audience actually liked that when he looked yeah. a little bit wild. So that was that was a different thing. But for most politicians, when they begin to look disconnected from reality, uh, it's a terrible look because people then begin to think, I can't trust a single... If he's saying this, I can't trust a single word he's saying on anything. Well, well, and this is how we end up with this situation again. March, March sixth, he starts his grand tour of the South, and he starts it in Nashville at the opening of the of the, of the new Grand Ole Opry House. Where I mean, here he is; he's joking around on stage. He's playing "God Bless America" on the piano. I mean, it's it, it, this is unhinged shit right here. That is, and you'll know this song when I start playing it. But that that I think they'll know it when I start playing it. But anyway, you remember on that prisoners. Of Prisoners of War affair that dinner. The one of the highlights was on Irving Berlin, who was had been very ill, and uh, came down and brought the original score of the great song that he wrote that everybody sings since then. 
Yes, I remember. God bless America. Yes, I remember. And I thought possibly we'd try that. Oh, one. do. That'd be great. God bless America. This is the President of the United States going to climb on a grand piano right here, folks. See that bird in the crowd there that hit the high note? Fair yeah. play, love. Oh, God damn. that was outstanding just to, from the floor. Um, he sounds the, drunk there. Yeah. The, well, drunk. he does. He does. And, and you know what? He sounds drunk. And not only that, look, you know, as you're talking about, the, the, I mean, the power in the presidency is in the convictions that people have in you to, to yes. execute it. This is a man who in, who's in his second term, which means he can't, he's done, right? He's done. He's campaigning. In the middle of what should be, I mean, inflation's running out of control. Does this sound familiar? There's problems in the Middle East, right? I mean, there's so much going on right now. And instead of being at all attached to, to the position, he's out doing this stuff. He's out, we, you know, here's here's Dan Rather a couple days. I mean, this this is three days later. Now he's down in Houston talking to a room full of journalists. We are going to make progress in the economic and political fields. Thank you, Mr. President. Dan Rather with CBS News. Well, it's right, rather getting the standing ovation from his fellow journalists here. Are you running for something? <laughs> there, there, there you go. I mean, you get Dan Rather with the. Are you running for something? I mean, because this is what he's doing. He is out campaigning. What he's in the instead of being there working with his lawyers, instead of being in the White House again, like I said, inflation's running away, you've got all these other problems going on. Instead of being back in DC doing his job, this man is out carousing around the south trying to placate racists and play up to their worst fucking things. And finally, you know, the, uh, rather the, is a great play. And go, go watch the video of it because you can see when rather asked him this question. The, I mean, it's that Nixon death stare of I will fucking fill at you for yeah, doing I that to me you. here. Yeah, no, it, it's it's the most. I mean, I'd rather have uh, a politician being. Uh, I'd rather have a politician who just comes out and sort of uh, see that when he tries to keep calm, uh, he actually is is worse than when he if he just slightly lost his temper. But um, yeah, that he is running. He's not running for votes. He's running no. for love because he knows now that on some level, even if he won't admit it to himself, he knows that he can't be saved on process, okay? Oh. Because he can't be saved on evidence because he did do it. 
and the evidence is there. Uh, in, in audio form, it's not even a he said, she said. It's not even a do you believe these 100 witnesses to this one? It's not even that. It's not It's not subjective whatsoever. There is actual evidence, and he knows this. He knows, though, that in any in any political system, incredibly popular leaders do not get replaced. It just yeah. isn't feasible. It's just not feasible, no matter how strong your system of government is. If people like their leader, and again, I'll refer you back to Clinton, where the economy was doing really well, and people yeah. were like, ah, screw it. I don't. I really, I don't care. You know, I'm okay. And if it, he is now running, also that he's a natural campaigner. That's when he's he's happiest when he's got someone to fight because that's right. how he campaigns. He doesn't yeah. campaign as in a vote for me because I have all these ideas. He's not an audacity of hope guy. He's an audacity of fear guy. So he's he's just reverting back to his natural state of give me someone I can I can go out and punch rock 'em sock 'em. Give me someone that I can go out and say they're my enemy. They're who I need to go and fight. Yeah. And he, as you say, he's out there and he's trying to show it up. Now, one of the problems, and politicians do this when they're struggling, we see it a lot in Scotland about uh, the, the, the government in Scotland only talking to its base. It's because it's easier and the base will feed back to you what they like. It won't help you get your aims because they're not the ones you need to win over. And as you say, Nixon's down there in the South with Conservatives. They're going to vote for him anyway. They're not yeah. the people who are going to make this decision. They're locked in. They're his it's he needs to be getting to people and again equally there's no point going and campaigning to people who hate him you know who are like radical democrats because they doesn't matter what he does he could bring world peace they're not going to vote for him they're not going to like him they're going to want rid of him it's the ones in the middle but he's not well, talking to them no and that's well i mean there's these seven key members on the judiciary committee three southern democrats and four republicans that everybody views as swings and and, and all seven of them of course, I've said after the fact, I mean, yeah, okay, we're going to go into this with an open mind, but their open mind was starting from the point of we don't impeach a president, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, it's just not something that's done. And as the evidence keeps coming out and things keep coming and Nixon keeps twirling, twirling, twirling in the wind. Always um, towards freedom. Yes, always towards freedom. Uh, it, it just keeps getting worse. And then, you know, we, we start getting, obviously, tapes, Jaworski hands over. Some of these tapes to the uh, to the House committee, uh, again, in his tranche of evidence. So they've got the nine original tapes, right? Jaworski, of course, is still fighting dur during this time to, to get the rest of them. Uh, what, what does he go back for? Like another 46 tapes or something? I can't remember what the hell the number is. He goes back. He's like, all right, look, I got a lot more questions. The House itself goes and asks Nixon, I believe, for 19 tapes. And, you know, he's, he's trying to fight this. He's doing the same the same dance. I got to worry about the the integrity of the office of the presidency and executive privilege and all this kind of shit. And he finally comes up with, in his own head, much like with the Stennis compromise, uh, a, a completely unworkable it compromise, wherein the White House will release edited transcripts of all these uh, all the tapes that the House and Jaworski have asked for, and. Nixon comes up again. I, we're going to play the audio here, but it's one of these things you really have to go watch because, you know, he's, he's sat there at a desk and I think he's in the Lincoln room. I can't remember. But next to him is just a massive pile of black binders 
with, with all these notes. With the presidential seal. Presidential seal from the office of President Richard M. Nixon. And, you know, he's sitting there. To, well, here, we'll, we'll, we'll listen to the tape first. But then it's just, it becomes so fucking utterly ridiculous. I was assured by those charged with conducting and monitoring the investigations that no one in the White House was involved. Nevertheless, for more than a year, there have been allegations and insinuations that I knew about the planning of the Watergate break-in and that I was involved in an extensive plot to cover it up. The House Judiciary Committee is now investigating these charges. On March 6, I ordered all materials that I had previously furnished to the special prosecutor turned over to the committee. These included tape recordings of 19 presidential conversations and more than 700 documents from private White House files. On April 11, the Judiciary Committee issued a subpoena for 42 additional tapes of conversations which it contended were necessary for its investigation. I agreed to respond to that subpoena by tomorrow. In these folders that you see over here on my left are more than 1,200 pages of transcripts of private conversations I participated in between September 15, 1972 and April 27 of 1973 with my principal aides and associates with regard to Watergate. They include all the relevant portions of all of the subpoenaed conversations that were recorded. That is, all portions that relate to the question of what I knew about Watergate or the cover-up and what I did about it. The problem for Nixon is that, well, as we just heard there on March 6th, he, he tells his lawyers to give the Judiciary Committee these 19 tapes. And, of course, again, they come back and ask for further ones. But when he releases these transcripts, and these transcripts are, I mean, they're massive. The Chicago Tribune runs a whole special section. Uh, the New York Times and Washington Post, like, immediately publish them in the books. They're immediate bestsellers. Everybody's reading them, right? But his problem is that, well, th there's a lot of, um, uh, what, do you want, what do you want to call it, David? Uh, friendly, friendly editing, friendly listening to the tapes on behalf yeah, of Nixon. The, and the, the couple of things to, to mention about it is that first of all, these the, the audio quality is incredibly poor. Okay? Terrible. Yes, no, we talked about this with the Stennis yeah. thing. They're they're nobody fucking can, bad. <laughs> yeah, nobody can sit down. It's fifty years ago. Recording technology is nowhere near what we are used to. The fact that you're listening to this now, for example. Yeah. Um, well, they're, and they're he crackly. used a cheap recording system for yeah. that time too. So they're they're crackly. They're inaudible. They're distant. They're echoey. So they are. But as Shane says, and people come into this, the people who are doing it with a natural bias of not believing that it will be the worst thing, and that does affect you subconsciously. It's not. Uh, they're not deliberately saying. But if there's a word they're not sure of, then they'll tend to put. You know, I mean, and who knows, maybe one or two of them did put meanings on that they weren't 100% on. Because, again, they don't think that the actual tapes will come out. So that they think, or at least they hope, that this will suffice. The other thing about it is, Shane, that's quite interesting. Um, uh, Pat Buchanan has said in his book, uh, the Nixon, the White House Years, that uh, they were radically understaffed. He said, uh, firstly, that these were not professional people who were doing this these were no. basically temps and white house uh, interns and, and secretaries who yeah they could do dictation but the dictation they did was you know someone standing next to them clearly speaking 
What, yes, what's pl- weird? Please take a letter for the yeah, prime minister. I, <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. So he said, so we were asking people to do this. He said, and there were people working 18 hour days, seven yep. days a week to do these because there was no time was given to, to be able to do this. No staff was hired, created, any of that. Um, he said, and what comes out is what it is, which is a grab bag of yep. badly taken down notes that aren't strictly accurate that don't contain uh, literal word-for-word uh, things. Also, the big decision, this is where we get the phrase expletive deleted. Yes, and Nixon now, himself takes a red pen to all of these. All uh, of although the- although he, try, he tries to blame his one lawyer, what's his name, the, the one that was a the Baptist uh, minister yeah, too. He, um, he said that, uh, oh, but it's the, the one I, for, I forget his name. Yeah, the one with the, the three names. Yeah. Uh, like he, 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 try, he tries to go out, he tries to blame He was a, he was a his, pastor. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a church-going man. And it, well, I forget, actually, it was it was Wiggins. I remember Wiggins saying this in the 1994 documentary. And again, this is Charles Wiggins, who we're going to get to here in a little bit, who was Nixon's fucking Boy, cheerleader on the Judiciary up. Committee, man. 100%. I mean, like, dear God, there's no way in there's nothing that he could have done. No, he or was so Josh Wiggins Holly. thought. Yeah, but that, even even in 1994, we know is that this again, this goes back to Nixon's problem with the transcripts is that they released these transcripts and the House committee has already heard some of these tapes and they have doctored this shit so much to try to make Nixon look good. And you have people on the House committee going, okay, now they're they're sending this shit out to the American people which is clearly misrepresenting what's on these tapes. It's not a matter of how you heard it in some cases. It's a matter of them trying to manipulate the record to had show the, to the people. And no, Wiggins, had, yes. Not the staff, because he, yes. as you say, was the guy who was going cut yes. that section, that yeah. whole section. And like I said here with Wiggins, because Wiggins still in 1994, again, we, we know what's on these tapes at this point because we've heard them all. Nixon says horrible, horrible shit. Right, right. Nixon has the mouth of a sailor because guess what? He was a sailor, right? So he's Wiggins, though, still in 1994. He's like, well, he said hell a lot. And and the, the one lawyer, again, he didn't like the word. No, it's not the word hell. It's fuck, bitch, shit. Uh, a lot of N words, a lot of blaming the Jews in the media for what's going on. A lot of stuff like that is all the quote expletive deleted sections on this. And it's, it's again, I mean, Wiggins there in 94 and, and just like with the house committee back in, in 74 are going, you know, I mean, it's blowing their mind that the white house is still trying to whitewash this shit. Despite the fact again, they've heard the actual tapes and you were providing them with transcripts that are clearly, clearly misrepresenting it and it is all coming from nixon i thought what wasn't Haig that said you know he's like i have no idea where he got the stamina he would stay up for 20 hours a day in the oval office with a red pen going through these things marking them up hand them to somebody to go fix and it's just him sitting there with all 1300 pages of this going through line by line yeah no and uh what i think as well that did happen is yes they took out some words that went, you know, shits and dams, they did go yeah. and hells, right? They went, which made it look a lot more than it was. They could have left those in. But they also removed cocksuckers. Yeah. And uh, the <laughs> N-word, and as you say, uh, some horrible terms for Jewish people as well. So the idea that this was just because the, his, his Charles Wright, that was the... Charles Wright, Charles yes. Allen Wright, that was yeah. a lawyer, who was actually a Baptist minister. Yeah. Um, that he insisted upon it. No, he, no, he didn't. This was Nixon. The, but the... <laughs> To go back to what the the committee felt, which was that this is a PR exercise, 
it was, right? What we'll do is we know what's on the tapes, but if we get this out first, then this is the perception of what's on the tape. Now, firstly, I don't think that's a very good strategy because, of course, if you do that, then what comes out, people aren't going to listen to the one story, which is here are these tapes, uh, here are the transcripts, and then not listen to the follow-up of actually the tapes say something completely different. I don't think that would have worked. But secondly, where Nixon has totally lost his, his touch is that these ta- th- th- these transcripts don't make him look better. Sure, they no. might say he's technically innocent and technically yeah. innocent is the best he can get at the moment, right? Yep. But they show a culture of appalling conversations of uh, gangsterism. Um, yeah. I believe that, that Hugh Scott, the, the Republican Senate leader, says uh, a, a culture of gangsterism. It's like Mafia Don's talking. Uh, it looks bloody awful anyway. So yeah, technically, it might, it might say, well, but he didn't do you know, the things that will get him impeached. But what it says to the American people is, yeah, but he's not fit to be the president anyway. And no. that was a huge error. Well, and, and during this time, so there, there's, um, in the early part of 1974, between February and June, there's uh, six special elections to fill House seats, right? Uh, which were, I mean, you know, kind of like the midterm elections that we have going on now, you know, there was a, a referendum on Biden or Trump or who, you know, it depends on whoever the fuck you want to say. But these in 1974 were a referendum on Nixon and the Republican Party. Gerald Ford's seat, which he vacated to become vice president, uh, flips to a Democrat, right? Which, which Gerald Ford had held since before 1787. Yeah. And well, in Michigan's, uh, there's another district. I, I, I want to say it's the eighth district in Michigan, which had been a Republican seat going back to, to, to fucking the, the Depression, right? Over, over 40 years, this thing had been a Republican seat, flips Democrat. And the signs are starting to, you know, they're on the wall, right? The writing's up there on the wall. And again, the, this transcript boondoggle blows up because when we come back here after the break, Peter Rodino and his committee have finished their preliminary investigations and are about to start bringing some of this stuff public. So we'll be right back. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 
Six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, welcome back into Watergate 50. Again, as with everything else, if you guys like the show, scroll down, hit the Buy Me a Coffee link in the show notes. If you're listening to this on Heart and Hand and you're not already, you know, go be a Patreon or maybe, uh, or as a patron. Is it a Patreon or a patron? You have to be a patron of Patreon, don't you? You're a patron of Patreon, yes. Okay, yeah. So, you know, you can always go up up your subscription over there. But like I said, you, you, if you guys like what we do, there's ways to tell us. Well, I mean, and you can't just tell us. Thank, and thank you again, David. I know, I mean, I've gotten notes and emails and messages and, of course, responses on, on your guys' little chat thing that you have on, on the website there. And from everybody who's listened to these, uh, the, the response has been overwhelming. I can't say enough. Yeah. Thank you all very much. Yeah, it's been amazing because, like, you know, as, as people probably can tell when Shane and I do this, we have a lot of fun. And, and we have these conversations regardless of yeah. whether we record them no, or th- not. This is what we do when we're not doing this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so we just thought, you know, we would try. And, and there is something I think really, you know, we, we do a lot of shows and we enjoy them and we talk about things that we love, obviously, with, with our football team and, um, uh, you know, various other things that, that we do. And that's, that's wonderful. But when you take something that is, you know, quite a personal like and something that you're obsessed with and it's nice when you have a friend who does as well but then when when you take it out to people and i think the thing when we started this is this is a great story and over and above the the intricacies of it it's just a great story and i'm glad that people are enjoying it because we didn't want it to just be a laundry list of uh and then he said this to this committee then this committee said that to this guy then this lawyer did this which you can do you know and, and and technically but at the heart of this are just so many human emotions i mean right now as we're moving into what is the final breakdown the utter tragedy i i genuinely and this is maybe overstating it, but I genuinely do believe there is something Shakespearean about yeah. this, about this no, man no. Yeah. who was flying so that there's an Icarus thing, a man who could fly so high, and yet we are now in a period where the most powerful man in the world is alone in his very, very big government house, the most famous house in the whole world. He's yeah. utterly alone in it. He can't do right for doing wrong. He's not doing the job, incidentally. You know, we, we discussed this and maybe Shane wants to expand on this. Um, for example, we just mentioned the staff who were doing the, the 18 hour days to do the transcripts. They're not doing the government business. They can't. They don't have time. No. So, you know, th- this man who has been elected to lead the free world at a time of a Cold War, um, a, a still unsettled post Post World War One and Two consensus, um, the, whose country, for large parts of this, was in an actual hot war. Let's not forget an unsuccessful yeah. hot war that's tearing the nation apart. Uh, this man who's been elected to do this not only is not leading the country at this point, he is actually halting the machinery of government from doing yeah. its job. Yeah, he's and, doing and- every everything that he's that he's professed and preached about about. You know, holding holding sacred the office of the president, and the duties of the president, and this is why I have to keep protecting this. While while he's again campaigning on that point, he's not doing it. He's not, and 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 you could also go further if you wanted to expand that point and argue if you're sitting on this committee, do you have time to 
represent your constituents? Like, do you yep. have time to do the, the the day? What else is that committee doing? Can it do any exactly. other investigation? Of course, well, it can. the, the, now, court, the courts are tied up him. in this. Everything is tied up. Yeah. I mean, every uh, part of the government is tied up in this. And I'm I, look, I'm not bla- the the committee. It's the most important thing they'll ever do. They had to concentrate on it. I'm not disagreeing yep. there. I'm not in any way criticizing anybody, Holtzman, Rodino, any of the reps that were on it. They yep. had to do it, and and they they had to do it thoroughly. My thing is, this man has made them have to do this and yeah. have to do it thoroughly. And as Shane says, here is a guy who would take great, and being Nixon, he would t- he, he would he would take great enjoyment from lecturing, puffing the chest out, and being very moral and saying, "Well, look, you know, uh, uh, you know let let's be honest. Uh, there's pomposity here. Of well, you know, that I'm I'm." I believe in our system of government and the reason I do this is not for me and not for any self-gratification on my part, but I want to make the world a better place. And yet you quite clearly aren't making the world a better place. You're making it a worse one because you are stopping the, the levers of government from being pulled in the way that they're supposed to be pulled. Yeah. And, um, well, you know, here, here we go. Like, like I said, Rodino again, Knowing full well, there's 21 Democrats and 17 Republicans on on the Judiciary Committee, right? And here they are. They they've been doing this groundwork, investigative work for the past three months, and finally here in the first week of May, they, 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 this is really the, the the first the first public proceedings. And of course, just like with the Irving Committee, these come out. They're broadcast on every network, every every you know the three main networks, PBS. Everybody's got this stuff, and and it's really. It, well, I mean, it's only about 20 minutes because they immediately recess to go back for 10 more weeks in closed sessions to, to receive the evidence, to mull it over, to, to debate it, and, and then finally, hopefully, bring it back forward. But, well, yeah, I mean, here, here's, a, here's a little bit of Rodino's opening statement. Like, like we said, Rodino knew he needed Republicans, right? Mm-hmm. He needed some of the Republicans, it, it, at least even the four in that group of seven that we discussed there in the first half of the show, right? Even those four would have been enough. For some time, we have known that the real security of this nation lies in the integrity of its institutions and the trust and informed confidence of its people. We conduct our deliberations in that spirit. We shall begin our hearings by considering materials relevant to the question of presidential responsibility for the Watergate break-in and its investigation by law enforcement agencies. This is one of six areas of our inquiry. We expect to continue our inquiries until each area has been thoroughly examined. He's talking about six areas there, and of course, Watergate's the first one, but right away... Uh, of course, they, they, they turn, as me and David talked about in the prior episode there, about the, the way that the Nixon campaign uh, gathered money, right? Um, they, they, they look at International Telephone and Telegraph, the American milk producers, and, and how specifically those two companies, despite the fact dozens of companies had, had done illegal, illegal things as far as the new campaign finance laws, but how they had gone about um, well, sidestepping or contravening the, these campaign laws. Um, they look at, uh, well, the other, other parts. Of, I mean, Nixon withholding uh, $18 billion in, in funding for domestic programs, basically holding this money ransom 
to to various you know Senate constituency or House constituencies to to try to cease again the investigations in the Watergate, which are violations of the of the emoluments clause. You guys might remember that little word from uh from Trump again there. So I mean there, there's there's a bunch of different avenues. And again, you know, he talks about six. We eventually end up with three. Um, but they have to go back, as we talked about the front of this, right? We're talking about treason. No. I mean, yes, Nixon did commit treason, but that never comes up until much, much, much later. Uh, bribery, maybe, right? Because, again, the, the way the way that he's withholding funds is, is kind of a quid pro quo situation. And then, of course, the high crimes and misdemeanors thing, which the Republicans on the committee, the, the, this is where they start with with their hangups, right? This is it here. I, I forget. There's one who famously says that Nixon hasn't done anything, you know, that could even be as bad as spitting on the sidewalk. Yeah, and, and well, one of the the, the points uh, that that gets brought up during this is he said, "Well, it's got to be specific. You know, yep. even a parking ticket tells yep. you where it happened and and what what you did wrong." And I have some sympathy for that viewpoint. Now, we know he's not doing it because he feels that Nixon, um, <laughs> you know, uh, deserves the process. But he's right. He does deserve the process. You can't just say he did some crimes and therefore he should go. You know, no. can you imagine if the police charged you and they said, uh, you've been charged with doing some bad stuff. You know, well, what bad stuff? Well, never mind. So, no, he's right. Uh, it was woolly and it was badly done. And Door was raging, John Door that we mentioned, yeah. because... He had given them every speci- uh, specificity. Is that? I don't know if I've said that. <laughs> yeah, right. we'll go with it. Specificity <laughs> uh, that that uh, that they needed. Um, yeah. But again, this is let's go back second time in American history that yeah. this stuff has been done. That it, and not in living memory. There is no precedent. Nervousness. You know, you're on TV for the yeah. start off, um, and you are going out to to try and tackle one of the most powerful men in, in the whole world. Yeah. Uh, I think it was famously uh, Alexander Haig, when he had the fallout with Spiro Agnew, said to his wife, if I disappear, check for some construction projects in Maryland. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, look at the footings of a bridge in Maryland. That's yeah, because that's what I'll turn up <laughs> in. So, you know, people were genuinely frightened, and, and that, that extends to politicians as well. Well, so, and Nixon, Nixon too. Again, you know, he does this interview with uh, who was it, James Kilpatrick? Because, of course, people, people, Republicans, even some of the Republicans at this point have already made up their mind, and they're trying to lean on him. Say, look, if you resign, we can maybe save the party and get out of the way of this. But if you keep fighting this, not only, I mean, we're going to lose horribly in the next elections. We're going to lose the White House. There's no chance of getting Ford reelected. Right. Mm. If you don't get out of the way and Nixon there, you know, he says in this this interview with Kilpatrick, quote, knowing that I'm not guilty of any offense uh, uh, under the Constitution that's called an impeachable offense. So he won't step down. And again, he's still doing this. It it would set a bad precedent for future presidents. You know, he's he's worried about he's worried about the next guy, not Dick Nixon. No, 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 no. no. It's not me. It's not me. And you would be a liar and a democratic communist. If yeah. you suggested for one second that it was about him, no, I mean he is. He's 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 now and again it's that technical thing. Nixon's a lawyer. Nixon's a very good lawyer. It's all about obfuscation. It's all about yeah, I did this. No, I didn't do this. Yeah. Um, or technically, you can't prove I did that. That's not a denial, incidentally. So you can't do me for perjury. It's all of that. It's it's just this very kind of clever side. Nixon's thing was uh, we talked about this on our show the other week uh, about. 
finance. And Nixon's thing was very much, well, if the rule says um, to have been guilty, I need to be wearing a blue suit and I'd be wearing a, an off blue suit. It's not technically a blue suit and therefore <laughs> I didn't do it. And that that's very much what, where he's going for that. Now, when you're down, you can get off in a criminal trial with that, as we all know in technicalities, we oh, all yeah. know that. And it'll keep you at jail, but it doesn't ever raise the finger of suspicion. Now, the committee then decide, uh, on their own, Rodino doesn't order them to do this, but the seven that, that, that she mentioned, the the waverers, the, the swing votes, they decide that Actually, and this includes Republicans. Yep, again, three it, three Southern Democrats, three three Democrats from Nixon districts, and four Republicans. And they get together, uh, and they work long into the night for three nights, so that the next time they're on TV, the charges aren't. And he did some bad things. The charges yeah. are, and they they keep saying specifically on this date he did this, and yeah. specifically on this date he did that, and well, specifically. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's um. Well, I mean, during all this, Nixon, I mean, he keeps he keeps going on the, the campaign thing, despite James St. Clair, you know, who's his counsel and this sitting there. You got to you need to stop going out and being on camera and being in front of the television. Right. Because, you know, I mean, you've got Rodino and his committee and door there, you know, because Nixon said, look, I'm not going to give you the tapes. I'm you know, I gave you guys the transcripts. I'm not going to do that. And they're going, well, a defendant in a grand jury hearing doesn't get to decide what evidence they turn over. Nixon, no. being a lawyer, knows this as well as anybody. Right. He won't hand this stuff over. So, and now this is starting to become a public battle, just like it was, um, you know, with, with, with the Senate committee. They hear from a lot of his. Uh, well, I mean, after, after fighting, after fighting with St. Clair and Nixon himself, they finally decide that they can they will give up five uh, five witnesses to be interviewed in closed session. Of course, John Dean, uh, who, whose Senate testimony blew this thing open in the first place. Uh, Fred LaRue, who was uh, part of creep there. Richard uh, Herbert Kalmbach, uh, Nixon's uh, former at that time personal lawyer. Alexander Butterfield, who, of course, spilled the beans on the taping system. And uh, former uh, uh, assistant U.S. attorney Henry Peterson, Nixon's still trying to do this, right? He's still, look, I will give you these five guys. This is who you can talk to. Meanwhile, he's still trying to get Democrats in, the, the swing votes into the White House for, for functions. And, and, you know, because as we were talking about, I mean, he can't do anything domestically at this point. Nothing, right? Which Nixon never really cared for domestic politics in the first place. We've we've discussed this, that, that domestic politics are building outhouses in Peoria, right? So what's he do? Fuck it. He gets on Air Force One and he starts touring the world again, despite maybe having a, a fatal case of phlebitis and the doctor's telling him you really shouldn't you be on an airplane for tens of thousands of miles. Well, he still I'm goes, he, he goes to, he goes to the middle East, right? He goes see uh, Sadat. Uh, he goes to Brussels for uh, there. I think there's a NATO summit. He goes back to see Brezhnev and the Soviet union. So, I mean, and, and this is all in, in these May and June and everything while, while they're still doing all these closed door sessions, July 9th, is when the, the Judiciary Committee finally starts releasing public evidence, right? Mm. And they, they release their own version of the, of the eight White House tapes, or, or eight, eight of the tapes of which Nixon had released a transcript, because again, Nixon's transcripts were bullshit, right? And then they start releasing pages after page, over 4,000 pages of evidence, right? Um, and, and now they're finally starting to see again that they are 
they're going to lose, right? Meanwhile, in the background, and this is something that we're going to get to much more next week, the Supreme Court case over the tapes is going on. And in fact, the day in which the (laughs) the Judiciary Committee gets back in front of the cameras in earnest to start debating the article's impeachment is the day that the the ruling in in the court case comes out, 8 nothing against Nixon to turn over the tapes. Spoiler! Yeah. Yep. Sorry, folks. If you didn't know, he loses that one, too. But as David said, I mean, the reason for the the, specificity, specificity, you've you've got me thinking about it now. The Mm -hmm. the reason the reason for that is the very first day the Republicans honestly do win at least the court of public opinion the first day of the public hearings. Right. Um, I mean, they, 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 they come out. And again, as Charles Wiggins, uh, I mean, just Nixon's bag man in this committee, right? Who just comes out and berates him. You got, and then you have a, what's his name? A Sandman. Um, I forget his first name. But I mean, you know, who, who look, you have proven nothing. You've shown us nothing. I mean, to, to charge someone with a crime, which again, this is the purpose of the house in impeachment proceedings, right? The House, again, acts as the grand jury. You're supposed to prove that a crime likely was committed, enough to where you want to send it to trial in the Senate. And that first day, the Republicans, and you can can go watch all this shit, everything, all this is on YouTube. You can watch these Democrats stammering through and being caught with their dicks in the wind. Like, oh, my God, you know, we thought we had this already. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. And so they all go home that night. Like David said, those seven together go work by themselves but the rest of the the house members go home and spend all night working on this shit and come back the next day and say as david was saying specifically on june 23rd 1973 bob haldeman said in a conversation with president richard nixon in the oval office well you know they go down line by line and whatever little bit the republicans thought that they had won that, that 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 you know it's Jack Brooks and 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 Harold Donahue and some of these guys who just rip it apart that very next day and for the next two days tear it apart yeah. in front of a television audience of around forty million people. Yeah, and, and that's that's that in a nutshell because the evidence is there. That's the thing. The yeah. way they presented it suggested it wasn't because they hadn't presented it. They had basically done assumptive. Um, right. selling as it's known where you just assume that the person wants it and they'd come out and say well you know we all know he did it so here are the things that he's did and what they said is well, okay you say he's done it and they're right incidentally the two days before you say he's done it but you haven't presented evidence that he's done it um, but then they present the evidence that, that he's done it um, on the Nixon just to circle back a little bit on the Nixon trips there that you mentioned yeah. uh, his family have suggested since uh, as of his AIDS that they felt he basically it was a death wish that he had phlebitis, which is blood clots, for those who don't know. Um, yeah, that, that, he, the, the, the leg thing where you got to wear yeah, the compression socks um, and whatnot, which you so will die very easily not, on an airplane you, from. <laughs> of all the things you shouldn't do, there's yes. one very specific thing that people with phlebitis <laughs> should not do, which is air, air travel. It's yes. just, it's a totally, because it's, of the pressure. It's certainly it, not 23,000 miles of air travel. <laughs> it can absolutely force it into your heart and you die. Um, and there was a suspicion that he quite fancied going out that way. Yeah. Um, and, and look, you know, that's not 
but we're not talking about a man in a rational frame of mind at this point. No, I mean, this is, I mean likely suffering from horrible, crippling depression at this point. Not, not yeah. undiagnosed depression. I mean, because you know, well, it was a man. He's a man. He's a man. He's a man. <laughs> um, so there was zero chance he was gonna he was gonna do that. We'd all seen what had happened, of course, to Tom Eagleton, the 19-day running mate of of McGovern, um, who had treatment for depression and, and they dropped him from the ticket when that became public uh, and actually Nixon wrote his son a very nice letter uh, you yeah. know, again this this is why he fascinates me because he he was a prick but then he wasn't a prick you know he was he was a, a consummate politician but then he wasn't a consummate politician yeah. he was a, a man who didn't like people yet managed somehow in the most glad-handing profession that that world will ever come up with to be yeah. elected he lost one election out of the well two elections out of about the, the the 40 that he stood in so yeah it's all these these comp it's all these uh, contrasts sorry now where we are now then folks is the vote they yeah. are going to vote now and again this is not a vote to remove them from office no the process they're, they're, is they're they're voting on three very specific uh, charges effectively because they've dropped one. They, they dropped the Cambodian yep, bombing yep, one, yep, the Cambodian yep. incursion one. Um, now, what they're voting on at th this stage in the process is if this committee vote to see if he goes to trial in the Senate, and yep. then the trial in the Senate is exactly what it says. Lawyers on both sides argue a case. The Senate then vote uh, guilty or innocent. Basically, what they're doing at the moment is voting: should he? As, is there a prima facie case? Is there enough evidence yeah. that he should be put forward to? And this is one of the most incredible emotional pieces of television yeah. you will ever see. Mr. Maine. No. Mr. Hogan. Aye. Mr. Butler. Aye. Mr. Cohen. Aye. Mr. Lott. No. Mr. Fraley. Aye. Uh -huh. Mr. Moorhead. No. Mr. Marazzini. No. Mr. Lada. No. Mr. Rodino. Aye. The House Judiciary Committee has just approved its first article of impeachment against President Nixon. The vote, 27 to 11. 27 to 11. Nixon had known going into this. I mean, he, he'd already lost some of the Republicans, right? It, it, it was a known, it was a known fact. He, he had, um, uh, uh, was a Walter Flowers. Uh, I mean, he was a Southern Democrat, but one of the votes that he really thought he could count on um, but uh, Hamilton Fish had already come out. William Cohen had already come out. I mean, the, the, there were Republicans that were already making it known. And even at that, even with Rodino knowing that he had the votes, you know, 27 to 11, even knowing that he had the votes to go out and do this, you, you can hear him there trying to cast that vote and trying to keep himself composed because you know, he's sitting there tallying these in his head and he already knows that we've, you know, this is done, at least on the first article, this is already done. And he's, he's trying to struggle through that moment. I mean, this, this incredible earth shattering fucking moment in the history of the country and the history of the world. And, you know, just trying to keep his composure, just, just to meekly squeak out that I, I Shane, um, I, I think ordinary people like 
hearing that emotion, not performative emotion, not emotion that is, um, uh, you know, focus tested, actual just real, they, they realise the significance of it. And it's not just him with the eye that, that where his voice breaks. It's no, you know, yeah. it, it's very much. Yeah. But I just want to take us on a very quick and very slight detour, but one I think that's worth mentioning. Absolutely. Um, before the the vote, the, the 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 every member of the committee is asked if they have any words. They're allowed to make a statement, basically. Yeah. And these are not again grandstanding speeches, folks. They're actually there's an awful lot of sadness, and as we know, most of them are voting yes. Yeah. So, but there's an awful lot of sadness in this that that it's come to us. But uh, a lady by the name of Barbara Jordan, um, she served for Texas, and she was the first ever uh, uh, black member of. Yep. of uh oh, the, the, the texas delegation come, yeah to come yeah. from texas yes yeah. um and it's one of the best pieces of oratory you will ever hear i urge you to look it up just just if you type in barbara jordan uh this will come up automatically uh, i just want to read you a little bit of this uh she says mr chairman you're a strong man it has not been easy but we've tried as best we can to give you as much assistance as possible earlier today we heard the beginning of the preamble to the constitution of the united states we the people it's a very eloquent beginning. But when that document was completed on the 17th of September, 1787, I was not included in that, we the people. I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton just left me out by mistake. But through the process of amendment, interpretation and court decision, I have finally been included in we the people. Today I am an inquisitor and hyperbole would not be fictional and would not overstate the solemnness that I feel right now. My faith in the constitution is whole, it is complete, it is total. And I am not going to sit here and be an idle spectator to the diminution, the subversion, the destruction of the constitution. Ladies and gentlemen, oratory that can make, even when I'm reading it in my silly voice, make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Yeah. Oh, for a politician. And this is just just a member of the House of Congress from te this is not some skyscraping world leader. Oh, to have politicians of that caliber in 2022. Yeah, I well, they instantly turned Barbara Jordan from a again a little known rep from uh, I think the Houston area into a, a no, nationally what, no, known figure what over overnight. A perfect, what a perfect bit of oratory! What a perfect speech! What a beautiful way to put it, and yeah. what. A, what a beautiful way to hang it of coming that, you know, what she's saying there is, look, this isn't a perfect nation. You know, the fact that, that you know, when that was created, we had slavery, yeah. but we get better and we always aim to be better. That's what she's saying there. And we can't, therefore, turn a blind eye to things like this because otherwise bad things can happen, even in America, even in America, yeah. you know, the greatest country in the world that we're all very proud of, if you're an American, that even then, we have to accept that we can make mistakes, but we can fix them. And that's what she's saying the committee need to do. I think it is absolutely perfect. Yeah. It, well, and I think, you know, to go back to Walt Flowers, again, a Southern Democrat from Alabama, who I'm sure every time Barbara Jordan opened her mouth was just going, la, 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 <laughs> la, in his head. I mean, even he's, I felt that if we didn't impeach, we didn't grain and stamp in our highest office a standard of conduct that's just unacceptable. Right? That's correct. So that vote there, that's the end of the first one. That's obstruction of justice. There are four more votes. Uh, there's the abuse of presidential power, uh, which, again, that, that passes 28 to 10. Again, the, the seven Republicans joining uh, along with the uh, 21 Democrats. Contempt of Congress, 2117 passes. These are the three articles that go through. Now, they also look at um, uh, John Conyers, who, who uh, the great uh, 
black representative from Michigan for uh, the over 50 years, uh, introduces the uh, Cambodia bombing and then misuse of war powers. Um, this one goes down. Of course, this is one the Republicans are never, you're not going to get any Republicans on board no. with it all. All 17 vote against it, nine Democrats. And then finally, the, the emoluments and, of course, Nixon's tax fraud, which we discussed. Again, all 17 Republicans and nine Democrats vote against this. So you've got the three articles that, that are going to go through to the full House, right? Because the Judiciary Committee simply, you know, it's, it's them giving the recommendation to the full House of, of what should be done. And typically... You know the the full house doesn't doesn't skip a beat. I think I think there was one once it got to the house in Clinton's that they weren't gonna uh, even take up at all. But um, there's another thing that happens on July 27th, and again, it's something that um, well we're we're gonna spend a lot of time next week because we are sadly, folks, we are kind of getting toward the end. I know it seems impossible. Uh, but uh, next week, we are going to go back to those court cases and what's going on with Leon Jaworski and and what well, what's really what's happening within the Nixon White House at this point. But the tapes finally come out between the 24th and the 27th. And there's members of this committee who, um, uh, well, even if they voted against it, Especially the first one, the first one, the article of obstruction, right? And, and again, this man Charles Wiggins, who we've talked about, who um, uh, you couldn't you couldn't find more of a of a Nixon, you know, glad hander uh, anywhere on on Capitol Hill. But these tapes come out, and it's 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 absolutely massive. And well, dear, we'll get some news. Good from evening. The, the Nixon presidency is virtually being overtaken by events tonight. One of Mr. Nixon's Senate leaders, Griffin of Michigan, and his chief House Judiciary Committee defender, Wiggins of California, both asked for his resignation. The president himself admitted he has lost his impeachment fight in the House. Personal he has not always given the- I am prepared to conclude that the magnificent public career of Richard Nixon must be terminated involuntarily and I shall support those portions of article one of the bill of impeachment adopted by the judiciary committee which are sustained by the evidence that's a that's a grown man in front of a television camera about about to just openly weep because uh I mean, Nixon was his friend. You know, we're talking about a man from I California. Yeah, I mean, this, I this is him. this I mean, is one of Nixon's old California boys. But yeah. again, the, the, the running man, theme, the running the theme, the man that w- stood in front of him. The man stood in front of him. Yep. and lied and lied. looked him in the eye privately when yep. when Wiggins was saying to him, "Look, you can tell me, just you know, tell me and I'll tell go it and tailor. Tell me if you tell me that you're guilty, I'll go it and I'll tailor a defense. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll work, but but don't lie to me." Um. And he looked him in the eye and lied. Yep. So this is a man, as Shane mentions there, he's he's having a personal as well as a political professional crisis. Yeah. And, well, I mean, the, the, this is it. You know, I mean, the, the Nixon Nixon has now, I mean, he knows, we just heard that. I mean, he, he's going to lose the House. And he has, you know, I mean, he's, he starts... He starts trying to go, you know, d- during this time before it's going to the whole house vote, he starts trying to work governors of these states and everything. He goes back to that old boy, George Wallace, mm, and says, George, you have to you have to get me votes from down in the south. And Wallace said, Dick, I, I can't. 
you're done. I don't support you anymore. And, yeah, and, says- that, and that that's that was I think for Nixon that was finally the moment where he knew even set aside the House because the House is definitely going to kick this to the Senate, but. You know, like we'll, we'll we'll get to the conversation we'll with Barry Goldwater week, but, and some of these guys next week. But I mean, he knew then that, that he this turns was it. to Alexander Haig after that and says, "Well, Alex, uh, there goes the presidency," yep. and there it went. Yep. Next week, like I said, we're going to come back. We're going to go back uh, talk about the. <laughs> The people of the United States of America versus Richard Nixon. And that's not that's not hyperbole. That's the court case, folks. That's that's the Supreme Court case. We're going to go back with, with Leon Jaworski there. And again, we're, we're going to bring you right back up to this point where the Senate immediately begins to prepare for a trial because this is this is going to go through the House. It's done. It's rubber stamped. And we are in now the, the final a week, 10 days of the presidency of Richard Nixon. So that's it for episode seven uh, of the Watergate 50 series here on Heart and Hand and uh, Crow Pod. Again, if, if you like all this stuff, hit that Buy Me Coffee link. That's for the Crow Pod. If you like uh, David's stuff more, go spend money. If you like both of us, help us both out because we like yeah, all of you. Only a couple of quads, you know, yeah. and we're worth it. We're at L'Oreal. Um, we're, we're not we're not Nixon campaign funding you. We're not shaking you down. We're not no. saying that you you've got to do this or we're going to send you to prison. You know, no. so we're we're just asking asking play. You'll never get us in front of a Senate committee. I'll tell you that right now, folks. Not not for this anyway. Uh, you know, the, the, like, like, the biggest thing I've ever been up in front of is the city council meeting. So don't. Uh, no, I have no aspirations to be to be in front of somebody like Sam Irvin one day. <laughs> no, no, I think he I'd be slightly out of my depth in that that, that sort of situation. But uh, no, I mean they might get they might get us in that whole treason thing in Bolivia, but yeah, yeah, that that might that come would back to bite us. But uh, yeah. anyway, of course, David, you can find on everything heart and hand. If you want to talk to him about Watergate, you find him on Twitter there at David A Edgar twenty three. If you want to talk to him about Rangers, of course, you go to Ibrox Rocks. Thank you, David. An absolute pleasure, my pleasure friend. Pleasure again, mate. And the research is absolutely top class. Well done. Oh, stop, stop. No, actually, keep going. Keep going. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I used my manscaper today, so you, my balls are well ready to be. <laughs> That's, I don't do that, people. Uh, you can find all my stuff on Twitter, Avoid. Like I said, uh, as we're coming up here, please do pay attention. I'm going to put out a call. Um, we've got two shows left that me and David are going to run, but the final show, we're going to let you guys steer. So uh, there will start being links popping out either uh, on, well, our Twitter feeds or on the, the heart and hand notes for the show or, or the show notes uh, on the CrowPod for you guys to leave uh, audio questions. Um, and we may try to turn that into some kind of live show too, but we're, we'll figure out the details. We'll make sure we let you guys know uh, within the, the week or 10 days before that. But please do stay tuned because, I mean, we want to, I'm sure that there's shit that's still running through your heads that maybe we haven't clarified, or maybe you just have a weird fucking question that we didn't think of. I mean, you know, look, look, we've, we've done 10 hours of this and there's still, I mean, we could have done, I don't know, a hundred more and we still wouldn't be anywhere near uncovering all the stuff that's gone on here. That's a fact. So, all right. Anyway, thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back with episode eight, the final days of Nixon's presidency here sometime soon. So we'll talk to you then. Bye. It is just too tricky for a chump like me to use. Oh, you.
You take that stuff, give me this serious thought, and I'm serious. You just might get a seizure from the evening news. 